Good evening. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew and chapter 6? The Gospel according to Matthew and chapter 6, as we're continuing looking through the Lord's Prayer. Matthew and chapter 6. This evening, I want us to focus on verse 13. I'll read from 9 to 15 uh, um, for greater emphasis, but we'll have our eyes set on verse 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses let's pray Lord God, as we sang, our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the Lord we love. Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would take our hearts and seal them, seal them in your courts above. Uh, Father, without you, our hearts and our minds would slip into the depravity that we so desperately seek, the slip into the self-idolatry that we love, the uh, self-actualization, the uh, love of our images and ourselves. Father God, help us to be God-centered in our thinking, uh, Christ-centered in our approach. May we drive, uh, may you drive us uh, to a, a greater uh, love for you and a desire to live according to your precepts. Help us as we uh, talk uh, and, and, and think quite deeply about the reality of temptation. The reality of temptation and the, uh, the reality of evil in this world and in our lives. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is a passage, as we have seen, that contains much more truth than we commonly think it does. Like a diamond, it can reflect with fresh light as it enhances in its beauty when we examine it more closely. Just two simple verses. One verse, but there are two lines. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One thing that we have seen is that Christian living, the way in which we live our lives according to Christ, is seen in this model of prayer. It's one of those passages in the New Testament that makes it very clear that praying and living are two sides of the same coin. 
pulled away from one another, we will find fundamental problems. Jesus is teaching us and giving us that fundamental teaching that those things which we sometimes may take for granted daily bread that we have the, the, the way in which sin just uh, moves around us and within us if we are not praying earnestly about those we can slowly be dragged away the Lord's Prayer as we have seen over these weeks has in, in, if you like been divided into two sections the first teaches us of things we need to know about God and the second teaches us of things we need to know about ourselves knowing God and knowing ourselves then is the theme of this prayer I remember as I uh, was growing early as a, a Christian, trying to uh, um, you know, accumulate and sweep up as much as I can. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to read uh, Calvin's Institutes of Christian Living throughout all its entirety. I failed at that straight away. Uh, it, it's quite a, <laughs> quite a body of work. but. He says that in this very same way, but he suggests that nearly all wisdom that we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Knowing God and knowing ourselves is the sum total of what it means for us to, 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 to pursue godliness, knowing who God is and having a sober knowledge of ourselves. What do we need to know about God? We need to know that he is our heavenly father. That's what the Lord's Prayer tells us. We need to know that his name is to be hallowed, that we need to seek his kingdom, and we need to seek his will in everything that we do. Fixing our minds and our hearts on these three principles, knowing God is our father, seeking his kingdom, seeking his will, summarizes for us those things that we ought to know about God. In light of that, there are things that we need to know about ourselves. Our need for bread is truly acknowledged. Knowing our utter dependence upon God to provide for us everything in this life and the next. Our need for ongoing forgiveness. Our need for ongoing forgiveness, not just to be forgiven, but also to be forgivers. And as we're going to see this evening, our need to be safeguarded for against satanic assault. To be safeguarded against the, 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 the powers that seek to drive us towards temptation and towards evil. Provision, pardon and protection, as one pastor says, are the three horizontal features of this prayer. God's provision, God's pardon, and God's protection. 
lead us into temptation. Now, the word temptation is almost universally used in a negative sense. You know, when we're tempted, it's something that's very negative. It's meaning to solicit someone to do evil. And it makes it difficult for us to read such passages as James 1.13, which states categorically that God does not tempt anyone. So how do we read such a passage then as this? Why would we need to pray to God not to lead us into temptation? This assumes that God does lead us into temptation on certain occasions. You see, the confusion arises because ever since the early 17th century, we have tended to use the word tempt in its restrictive negative sense. We were just having a good conversation about English and how things have changed over the years that we're not, we're not seeking to understand what their, may have had, their original purpose was. Obviously, we've used the word tended to tempt as in its restrictive sense. But the word is capable also of positive rendition. And that is in the sense of testing. James, in the previous verse we just cited, uses it in, this, in that sense. The NIV and the NAS, NAS translations choose to use the word trial instead of temptation just like the authorized version did. Blessed is the man who, is, who perseveres under trial, James 1.12. Jim Packer says, temptations are Satan's work, but Satan is God's tool as well as his foe. It is ultimately God himself who leads his servants into temptation, permitting Satan to try to seduce them for beneficent purposes of his own. Stick with me. However, though, temptations do not overtake men apart from God's will. The actual prompting to do wrong is not of God, nor does it express his command. The desire which impels to us to sin is not of God, but is one's own. And it is fatal to yield to it. Satan is God's tool. You know, we often get this image of, the, of, 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 of hell being a place where Satan rules and we're all down there. No. God is sovereign. God is the one who stands over all. And as we've seen in texts like Job, Satan is God's tool. The Lord Jesus Christ intends more than a prayer against our faith being tested for its authenticity by this petition that we see. You get a sense that he has in mind the situations that we counter every day that might solicit pressure upon us to stumble and to fall into sin. James alludes to this in a very similar way in the opening chapter of that epistle, whereby he uses the words in both senses. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, he says. He's speaking of the way in which some things come into our lives that are trials and tests of our faith. 
It is the same word that is used in the next verse for temptation. Peter adds the word of caution. That we should not be surprised by the painful trials that come to us. This can't be temptation. James adds, however, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Here, James means by tempted, the particular, you know, being solicited to lead towards a fall, the test to be drawn out into sin. This is not something that God has any part in. We are to pray that we are saved from that. Alludes to what Jesus says in Matthew 26, that we ought to watch and pray so that we do not fall into temptation. Think of it this way. The situations that we find ourselves in where the exit door can clearly be seen These are tests. Whenever God leads us into these kinds of situations, he always clearly labels the exit route. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand under it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. However, there are situations where there is no evident escape. Things that allure us and they, they seem devoid of any kind of escape. These are Satan's doings. We must be watchful over those things. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. I mean, look at those verses in their entirety. James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. We're seeing how there's the progression there. Temptation gives way to evil desire. And when we are dragged and enticed, and when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Meaning that 
The responsibility lies with us. In the opening chapters of the Bible, Adam and Eve end up blaming everyone but themselves for their own behavior. God insists on unmasking that false pretense by insisting that we are responsible for our own sins. Evil desire, being dragged away and enticed, all of a sudden is the conception and the birth of sin. Then sin itself finally grows into death. get a sense and you wonder if James is thinking of the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You get that conception and birth imagery. You see that sordid tale of, uh, of David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The story takes place at a time in the year when men like David, it says, at a time when kings are supposed to go for war, David stayed at home. His first mistake was to feel that he was above the responsibilities of any ordinary person. Being able to relinquish his responsibilities, he took advantage of his power of office and thought himself above the demands of any other individuals. So walking one evening on his flatted roof, he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath, and instead of averting his eyes, like he should have, he pursued the matter. Allure has arisen up, and he's given way to the enticement. Desire has emerged. Bathsheba was a married woman. When he discovered this, he was already too far. It was too late for him to turn back in his own heart. Lust had already taken place and got hold of him. Intercourse had resulted in Bathsheba being pregnant. The birth of his child and its swift death. David had crossed so many lines just by simply allowing his eyes to linger. My wife and I used to go to this nice hotel in Bedford, uh, the Bedfordshire Swan. And we ventured out one time uh, as we heard that John Bunyan's museum was not too far from where we were staying. I mean, it's a nice museum, but it's no British museum. It's just a, a small little house. But um, one of the um, stewards there was very, you know, he was very enthusiastic. Wanted us to see everything and it was really knowledgeable. And um, I recall as he was, you know, I, I remember there was uh, things that he talked about this, this sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, a poster or something that Bunyan had of like 16, a 16 verse poem that Bunyan had, had written and almost, uh, you know, the, the concept that, that we kind of like if Ezzy draws a picture and then we stick it up on a refrigerator. It's not that good a picture, to be honest, but, you know, we seek to encourage him by sticking it up on the refrigerator. But you get that kind of concept where he's got this thing and he's put it up 
on the world. The subject matter was sin. And the piece was called A Caution to Stir Up to Wrath Against Sin. Again, it's in that old ye English, so I'll try my best because I took this, this verse straight out of it. The second verse of that 16-verse poem, it goes like this. Sin, rather than twill out of action be, will pray to stay, though but a while, with thee. One night, one hour, one moment will it cry. Embrace me in thy bosom, else I die. Time to repent, saith it, I will allow. And help, if to repent thou knowest not how. But if you give it entrance at the door, it will come in and may go out no more. Pointing towards, even in uh, 1684, the pervasive nature of sin has been there since the beginning of time for us. Jesus is teaching us to pray that we may be protected when we find ourselves faced with such situations and enticements that would drag us away towards those progressive steps towards giving birth to sin. The growing Christian grows in recognition of our frailties. It's one thing to have a desire to have those things which are contrary to God's will and to never find yourself in those contexts to fulfill those desires. Often it's only a lack of opportunity that keeps us from falling. When desire and opportunity meet together, as they sometimes do, then we are sure to fall. And we need to pray two things. We need to recognize our weakness. We must never think we are too big to be tempted in any certain way. We must never say, that could never happen to me. If we think like that, we're not making much progress in our sanctification. Do not flatter yourself that you can hold out against temptation's power. Secret lusts lie lurking in your own heart, which will never give up until they are either destroyed or satisfied. A man or woman spending time with one another outside of marriage, we cannot give way to that. If you have struggles with, 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 with anger, and, and stealing and, 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 and things that and you tell yourself you know what, it's just there I can get by, I'm strong enough we're lying to ourselves the allure of temptation is great We see an interesting encounter in 2 Kings chapter 8. Elisha goes to Damascus and King Ben-Hadad of Aram is unwell. When the king learns of Elisha coming, the great prophet, he sends Hazel to meet him and brings some sort of small gift. You know what he means by this gift. He's sick, he's unwell, he's bringing a gift to Elisha to inquire 
of how his health will go. Really, he's trying to say, you know, can this great prophet, this, this man of God, do something to change my situation? So Hazel asks, you know, will, will the king live? And Elisha says, yes, he will live through this illness. But then he says that the king will die. How? He foretells that Hazel himself will kill the king and cause great harm to Israel and the Israelites. And what does Hazel say? 2 Kings 8.13 Am I a dog that I should do this thing? He's like, what? Me? You're trying to foretell something that it, it won't... No, it's not me. What's happened there? All of a sudden, allure has entered his heart. So he returns and encounters King Ben-Hadad and then kind of asks him, well, what did, what did uh, Elisha say? And he says, no, no, you'll recover. The next day, he smothers the king in his sleep and becomes the king of his, of, of, um, of, becomes the king himself. Yes, we can be such dogs. To become like Hazor, to become the king of Syria, the temptation, the allure of power, we can't think we're too big for that. To temptation and self-interest will dehumanize us. We must pray to God that he would lead us away from such temptation. And lead us not to temptation. But deliver us from evil. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord Jesus is now adding to this prayer. We can be led into temptation, but made conscious of those two enemies, both the flesh and the outside world. A corrupt heart and a fallen world are enough to lead us into ruin. Like Pastor Ryan says, you know, we have been delivered from the power of sin, but the presence of sin still remains, still out there. But even worse than that, there is the cunning devil, the evil one, Satan. He will employ the world and the flesh to bring us down. like someone said that, you know, if as a Christian you haven't wrestled with the devil at some point on your, on your journey towards Calvary's cross, you're either not headed in that direction or you're headed in the same direction as the devil is going. You're going to encounter the devil at some point as we wrestle with what it is to live in this world.
You need to reckon with the devil. And twice in the New Testament, in the New Testament he is called the tempter. Matthew and Paul say so. Peter was told, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that you would, your faith would not fail. These words are meant to be an encouragement to us and also a warning. Every Christian who is determined to live out and out for God can expect to meet opposition from the evil one. But how will our Heavenly Father deliver us from the evil one? How will he do it? Sometimes he does it by special acts of his sovereignty. He removes the circumstances or persons that have been meaning to entice us into sin. Sometimes he removes the desire. When we find ourselves in certain circumstances which can potentially be soul-destroying for us, we all of a sudden have no desire for those allurements. The Holy Spirit makes us immune to sin's beckoning. You know, it's like I used to enjoy uh, uh, going out and, 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 and partying. You know, that's a long time ago, but imagine you, you did so during COVID. All of a sudden, by sovereign power, you've all, that's been removed. Okay, you can't be dragged away in that way anymore, but those things have come back. But then as someone who is growing in Christ and you're learning what it means to, uh, 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 not to be, uh, so to be intoxicated, to drink, all of a sudden that allure to do the things that you once did has gone. Is there something in and of itself inherently wrong with alcohol? No. But you know there, all of a sudden, you are being tempted to do things that will now give those steps towards sin. But the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, causing you not to desire those things anymore because you know and have a fresh and new and sober understanding of your own self and your own weaknesses. So you don't take yourself there. However, the Lord's more normal way is not to bring us such deliverances, but allow us to experience the full force of temptation's attraction because he wants to engage us in living the Christian life. He actually wants us to battle because it is through the experience of battle that we often grow. Just as unused muscles all of a sudden lose their, 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 their strength and become flaccid, so spiritual mus uh, maturity is stunted by passivity, uh, passivity. God wants us to develop the skills of resisting the devil so that he will flee from us. But how? How do we do so? And I want us to expand on this at length. I, whilst, preparing, whilst preparing to preach uh, last week, I stumbled upon a book. I didn't even, you know, 
pray for me when it comes to my reading, you know. I always find different reasons not to delve into my reading and make an excuse later on genuinely as my, my, my reading the scriptures uh, and even reading good literature. But I came across uh, a good book written by a man named William Gurnall, The Christian in Complete Armour, in which he expounds on that passage in, which, in Ephesians where Paul speaks of battling against Satan fully equipped with the spiritual armour. Go to see Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. Obviously, I still need to download and read it. But in there, there is, however, a good illustration of it in the Bible. He goes on to talk about Jesus himself being tempted in the wilderness. That's what we read in Matthew chapter 4. At the very onset of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus was delivered from the evil one himself. But by what means? Several things are worthy of note in there. But we see how Jesus learned to respond biblically to every temptation. One, he recognized the devil's subtlety. The devil came after 40 days of fasting. Surely God wants you to eat. God wants us all to eat. He created food for us to eat. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Use the miraculous powers that you have for self-satisfaction. That's how most temptations are. They're subtle. The evil one comes and says, you know, it will be all right. Just do it. It will not be very long before he then comes again and says, it is wrong what you did. Moving from the tempter to the accuser. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. G.K. Chesterton had a wonderful uh, uh, um, analogy when he said, if a rhinoceros were to enter this restaurant, he was saying, there is no denying that he would have great power here. But I should be the first to rise and assure that rhinoceros that he had no authority whatsoever. And the devil is like that. He pretends that he has authority, but he has none. We listen to him because he throws about his weight. He's very powerful, but he has no authority. His voice is timid and insignificant in comparison to the one of the great Lord. And Jesus knew this. Jesus was aware of his subtle influence of that still quiet voice in the ear that allures us to temptation. Secondly, Jesus reasoned with him. He charged him and rebuked him out of the very scriptures. Now, as we sat back in the hall this, evening, uh, this afternoon, we noted that in Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And I, I was like, I joked, like, you know, doesn't, are you sure it says the law of the Lord and not the gospel of the Lord? You know, we're more into the gospel is what's refreshing to the soul. 
No. The law of the Lord, the Lord, God's law is refreshing. And it's interesting to know that Jesus must have loved the book of Deuteronomy. It's from the book of the chapters 6 and 8 that he goes to, precisely, to counter the devil's lies. Jesus loved the law. It was refreshing to his soul. Jesus knew his Bible. He was able to respond and say, I will live in the way God has said. Some, some, some people sometimes call Deuteronomy the book of covenant renewal. Second law. And it taught him to yield his entire life to God and his ways. Satan could have no part in that. And he fleed. Thirdly, he recommended himself to God's given destiny. Jesus had not come for himself. He had come for others, and especially for his Father in heaven. He had not come to do his own will, but the will of his Father. And we are to follow in the same example. When we're doing our own will, when we're living according to our own will and precepts, we can suppose that we can encounter any sort of enticement, any sort of temptation, and come through unscathed. But when we live according to the Lord, we take his warnings very seriously. Jesus said no to himself and yes to his Father's will. The grace of God, Paul reminds Titus, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age which we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to pu purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We must recommit ourselves to God's word and to God's will. It's the only way that we can say no. It's the way Satan's enticements that we have in our hands can be dropped and the assurances of, the heavenly, of our Heavenly Father picked up. Jesus is pleased, the Lord God is pleased to deliver us from the evil one. As we grow in our commun communion with him, our relationship with him, those unresolved issues in our lives will become more illuminated. We take a more frank and sober look at just how the health of our heart is. And we yield it to God. So long as those issues in our lives are unrepented of, unresolved we're always going to be susceptible to that word that says you know try it you're going to enjoy it try the allure of 
of that, 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 that co-worker. Have that little conversation that you ought not to be having. Go to that place that you know is of no benefit to you. Just try it. Matthew 4.11 says, after Jesus has re had resisted him, the devil left him. As we pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us look to the Lord Jesus Christ's example of one who, who, who knew even in his perfection the power of the enticement of, 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 of temptation and salures and who resolved to go to God's word to find a solution. As we pray, and we enter our prayer lives and our prayer times and the prayer meetings, our prayer time at home, our prayer times in public. This model of prayer is one that causes us to be sober about how we seek to know more of God and also to know more of ourselves. Knowing ourselves causes us to pray for ourselves. If I have an issue here, if I'm struggling here, I'm praying that the Lord would remove it from me, would help me to, to, to very blatantly and aggressively call it out. I mean, what does the Lord Jesus say? If my hand causes me to sin, I cut it off. That's the aggressive nature in which we take and look at sin, but even before it's been given birth to, temptation. May the Lord hold us and carry us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father God, we live in an ever-increasing world of sensuality and uh, 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 um, sin's uh, per pervasive nature just right in front of us. We would be lying if we said that we were above temptation. We would truly be lying. Help us, God, to have a fresh and real and sober look, not just as you, at you as our Father and the one who, 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 who sits on heaven, whose will we must constantly seek. We also look at ourselves, our need for daily sustenance, our need for forgiveness, and our need to be protected from the evil one and from temptation. Father, I pray if there's anyone of us all here who is, has some, some, some temptation at the back of our minds, something that has been poking at us throughout the week, throughout the month, something that's pulling at us to, to, to draw away from your precepts, to draw away from your law, may you lead us away from it. 
even something as being tempted to draw away from the flock, to draw away from Christian fellowship, to draw away from one another. May you lead us away from that temptation. Help us to rally around one another, to, to, to exalt one another in the word, to confront one another in the reality of sin. Because we do not desire for any of us to perish. Give us the mind of Christ. Help us to have the resolve of our Lord Jesus Christ, who resisted the devil and he fleed from him. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.